All right. Okay. You ready? Yes, go. He's off the racing line, and he's on the marbles. This isn't good. Oh, that is not good. Oh, no! On the marbles, on, on the marbles, on the marbles, on, on the marbles, on the marbles, on, on the marbles, on the marbles, on, on the marbles. This is a dedicated Formula One podcast brought to you by the most respected, keenest, and knowledgeable minds in motorsport racing. The mere fact you're listening to this suggests great sagacity on your part. You're in the right place at the right time. But of course, you already knew that. Just the flaps. Jesus, take the wheel. Hello, hello. Welcome to On The Marbles. I'm your host, Steve Jones, and joining us on these dangerous little rubber balls, David Coulthard is in situ, as we say in the world of shortened words, and via a digital face-to-face video service that's had quite enough free publicity on the coattails of a global catastrophe. Mark Webber joins us. How are you fine fellows? You well? Brilliant. DC, you want to go next? Are you well? Oh yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Sorry, I thought I thought you were into a long rambling opening to not rambling. So I don't want to be disrespectful. I, I was waiting for you to get into a really impressive couple of paragraphs. On That's a lovely kick in the schnutz right off the bat, DC. Thank you for saying that. Well, no, but the thing is, no one actually did a clap. No one said we're about to go. You just decided we're ready. I was okay. midway through drinking some sugary brown water, which I refused to name. All right. Now Ronaldo is no longer endorsing it. I know, I know we usually start the show with a quick hello and get straight into the always brilliant questions from our listeners. Uh, you know, I have a strict uh, anti-blither policy up top within the On The Marbles forum. You're right. But today, friends, colleagues, uh, if I may break with tradition and vent a little plasma from my nacelles, uh, I'd appreciate that muchly. So would you indulge me? Is that okay, Mark? Do you see? Would you indulge me? Yeah. Okay. Voila. Perfect. Go for it. Gentlemen, uh, listeners, I have written literally hundreds of hours of Formula One content. You know, the shows in general, uh, interviews, VTs, podcasts, uh, all with the intention to entertain and inform in equal measure. Uh, The impact of my blood, sweat and tears has been, let's say, negligible uh, at best. What's your point, Steve, I hear you ask? Well, at the Baku Grand Prix, Mark Webber screams like Barry Gibb catching his plums in his zipper and he breaks the f***ing internet. Close to 2 million views and counting. Let's refresh our memories. Here it is. Lights out and Perez immediately jumps across. Lewis Hamilton's going to get the lead. Lewis Hamilton takes it away, but he locks up and he's lost it. One more time for the cheap seats. But he locks up and he's lost it. Mark, take us through that fateful day. What possessed you to reach such a Hitchcockian note? Well, mate, I think that... um you know, we had the big lull, didn't we, in proceedings before, the, you know, Tom FIA got their their stuff together and worked out how they were going to put all the uh, the clowns and the circus balls in position ready for this six-sector Grand Prix to close the event out. Um, and Hamilton and Perez on the front row, Lewis's brakes were, you know, a tad warm as we saw him pull up into the box there. And he won the start. He had the checkmate pretty much done. Yeah. Done and dusted. He was there. And 
he went to the car park <laughs> with his brakes, you know, locked up. And it just, I think it just, my, my microphone, I don't know if you know, but my microphone was between my legs, a long, long light oh. way away from, from yeah. where it should have been. But still the- So um, how loud was that scream? That didn't come well, from his mouth. <laughs> That's what he's telling four, us. Hey, look, Channel 4, as we know, only use the best, uh, you know, whether it comes to cameras, you know, yeah. microphone, uh, the acoustical value of what we bring to the party. So, you know, I was nearly stitched up with just how good the acoustics are. And, yes, I did hit a high note because I was just blown away, mate. I was surprised. Um, and sometimes I name people. Like when someone makes a huge mistake, I'll shout their name. I have been known to, to you know, break stuff just out of sheer either frustration or joy or mixed emotions but with this one i just dropped the ridiculous strip scream and um that came from your cerebellum that's deep rooted i've trade i've trademarked it um (laughs) it's going well Uh, i've trademarked it to netflix i've got more views than those guys so one more how do you have views on a on a voice is that is that such a thing well we uploaded the thing to our uh our c4f1 i know twitter i know like people aren't viewing anything spectacular they're hearing something spectacular no no you uh, could see barry white's barry white's voice you could see it. <laughs> it, it it was barry gibb barry white's the opposite no direction. i'm talking about how can you sing how can you see a voice well if you've got a deep enough voice you can see the voice oh i was being literal yeah i was just making shit up but what it does do is confirm that mark with the microphone between his legs is big down under yes oh do the neighbors it, ever Mike. complain mark hey mate what's that do the neighbors ever complain um, yeah, well, mate, it's funny you mentioned that, mate. Um, I've had to move. I've bought, you know, the boundaries to either side. I've had to move it back a little bit because, um, yeah, when it gets um, a bit erotic, I do, you know, the, the, the sort of decibels get going. Do you see je- jelly much? A little bit jealous of all this attention Mark's had with his wonderful voice? No, it's one for all and all for one. I've, I feel refracted. Uh, uh, pleasure and, 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 and part of being part of this wonderful team. You know, I, I was, uh, I'm not going to pretend I was watching it back at home. I was, <laughs> but, uh, but I have caught up with it. Thanks um, for your support. Well, you know, I, I have a 12 year old who needs to be out doing 12 Yeah, he's got a stuff. deeper voice than Mark. It, well, in that moment, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it a thousand times and every time I just can't stop watching it. It just gets better yeah. and better. And Billy's face as well is just a, a picture. I mean, whoa, is he in the moment? Flipping heck. Yeah, Billy Billy got excited. I mean, some people were harsh to Billy because they thought he was celebrating Lewis going off. And, and he absolutely was not. He was just, again, blown away with the sheer the amount moment. of action. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, mate, cause all, I mean, Jake, he was he was on one too, which was awesome. The commentary box was on fire, mate. And we, um, Alex. we enjoyed the short Grand Prix and um, Alex Jakes. Oh, but okay. it, it was the right result, Steve. It was. A, I don't think any of it wanted. Lewis, to be honest, I don't even Lewis thought if he led six sectors of that race. Yeah, it would have been a bit of a joke. Yeah. So um, ultimately, uh, no points awarded for the big dogs, and we move on. Yeah. Can I just say at that point when when Mark mentions that Billy got a hard time, I I, I just don't get how we are as as people. Where if somebody expresses a support for someone other than you support. You can't. You don't agree with them. How dare you take joy that somebody wins yeah. that I don't support? That's the whole point of sport, isn't it? You know, People it's like we are having this podcast ahead of what is arguably the biggest sports event in in the world this year: mm. Scotland versus England. Yeah, football. It's on. No, we'll get into that. 
Okay. A bit all later. Right, I mean, right. you know, no, I just wanted to. You know, it's an F one podcast. I know, okay? but you know, it's very much at the front of my mind. Yeah, if you want to talk about that stuff, go and see Jay Humphreys, okay? Because this is F one, <laughs> baby. <laughs> High performance podcast. Are these still outperforming us? <laughs> Shut up, these. <laughs> <laughs> the squeal got covered, mate. We've covered them off with the squeal. We've, we've jumped ahead. Mate. Yeah, big time. I'll, I'll say this because yeah, you were saying people can jump down the throats of people who, who voice a contrary opinion. I will say this. I'm glad Lewis Hamilton went off. Do you know why? Because he gave us the Mark Webber scream. So there it is. <laughs> okay. Come at me, gotcha. internet. Gotcha. Bloody yeah. fantastic. Our Mark went viral. He joins the ranks of that Burke wailing and crying about Britney Spears, that dramatic chipmunk thing with the big eyes, Charlie bit my finger, and now Mark Webber's scream. Bloody legend. Oh, mate, that's not bad, actually. That was well, good. Thank you. Not bad. Are you yeah. big down hey. under as well? Better believe it, baby. You don't get this confidence with a little thing dangling between your legs. Adam, <laughs> cut that out later. <laughs> All right, showtime. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Pirelli. For almost 150 years, Pirelli have delivered you safely and smoothly upon the ever-changing roads of life. Well, now Pirelli are here to take you on a different kind of ride. The safest, smoothest, and most pleasurable ride of your life. Introducing Pirelli Condoms. Whether it's a risky sexual encounter with someone you just met at the checkout in Littles, a lock-in in a sex dungeon in Mayfair, or you're dogging in a landfill in Narch. You want a condom that won't add to the population. A condom that stops the CSA knocking at your door. So if you think there's enough people on Earth, use Pirelli condoms. Rubber you can trust. Brilliant. There you have it. <laughs> I love it. I'm right. probably firing blanks at my age, but I want to go and buy some Pirelli condoms. <laughs> uh, Pirelli there, branching out. Important message, though, listeners. Use a condom. Okey smokey. Time to turn the key in the ignition. The correct tyre pressure for three passengers has been observed. I've checked under the bonnet. The oil's good. Uh, full disclosure, we are out of windscreen wash. Uh, not the end of the world, you might think, until I tell you that somebody has drawn a large cartoon penis in the grime on the rear windscreen. I'm not looking at you, DC, but it's there. Uh, I'm not going to try... Uh, I'm not going to let it distract me, listeners, so let's get on with this. Mirror, signal, manoeuvre, and we're off. I should lead with the fact we had a lot of questions about Mark's scream. I think we've covered that, so let's focus on actual F1, you bloody lunatics. Let the Q&A begin. Annie Henry is first out of the gate. Is Hamilton making mistakes because Max has him under pressure, or is it just purely coincidental? Let's begin with Mark Webber. Well, mistakes. How many has he made? Um, that was a high-profile one we know in, in, in Baku, but it was basically down to a, a switch setting, which, which caught him out, this magic button they talk about to manipulate the brake balance for front tyre warm-up to get ready for the start of a Grand Prix. So, um, yep. It was an error on his side, what we call finger troubles, um, mm. and paid a huge price for that because he went from 25 points to to zero. Um, no, I don't think so. I think Hamilton is been around the block. Um, he's he's enjoying, you know. He said, "Bring it on externally." So outside his team, so he's he's, he's got that in abundance now with Verstappen. 
Um, I think that he's looking forward to getting into the guts of the European tracks. Um, and Merck have to, of course, bounce back as a team as well. They've been a bit flaky on just a bit, you know, operationally. They've had some, you know, horrendous pit stops. So Red Bull are turning the screws, but I don't think Hamilton is is feeling the, the Verstappen heat. I think he's feeling, yes, a, a, a little bit of heat because the performance is not quite in their corner at the moment. So it's not a Verstappen thing. It's just that the, the team and his standards are, of course, very high. Um, so I think he'll be back very, very shortly. Okay. What do you think, DC? Is it just purely coincidental that Max has had him in his sights and he's now leading the championship? No, I think it's entirely down to the fact that we've got Max Verstappen in a Red Bull. Take away Max Verstappen in a Red Bull and Lewis would have had a, a much more comfortable run mm. and possibly wouldn't have had the finger trouble. You know, why has he not had that finger trouble before? Mark and I both know that you can have little errors of switches and leave the radio button on and things like that in the heat of the moment. But he was, you know, a start is a sort of, you, you plan what you might want to do, but you're in a very reactive subconscious thing at the start. And in that reactive subconscious moment, he's flicked a button that he's never done before. And it's resulted in him having a massive mistake. You yeah. can call it anything else. You know, I saw Lewis say, it's not a mistake. It's not, a mistake is when you run wide and hit the barriers. Well, look, a mistake's a mistake. If you're not on the, the desired line, then you've ended up somewhere. You know, if you've gone there through desire, then that's not a mistake that's mm. intentional but if you've gone there because you've made a mistake it's a mistake so i think he's getting it his looked a lot confused. like a mistake yeah. in the moment he's, he's getting his definition of mistakes confused yeah. because to me a mistake is a mistake and it's very clear when a mistake's mm. a mistake thank you dc um mark may have just covered this a moment ago but maybe tony uh ledley wants to be a bit more expansive on it he's asking what is this magic button on the steering wheel that lewis apparently accidentally hit they sent him skidding off the track at turn one. Yeah, has Mark already covered that? Was that what, well, you didn't do you didn't do the detail of the magic button, well, what, and what I'm not sure either of us completely know the detail of it. But uh, what I'll have a stab at is it it moves the brake balance further forward for when you're doing tire warming. Um, you can get rear tire temperature relatively easily by wheel spin. Front tires you tend to have to brake and radiate the heat from the disc into the wheel, into the tire. And my understanding, Mark, is that it moved the brake balance forward, but you may have a different understanding. Yeah, no, I think that's right, mate. I think that they've, they've got this little toggle which you can um, increase the brake balance to the front by a, by a large margin. Some people might think, well, how, how you know, what, what sort of percent would you need to move that forward to get some sort of reward? And it's quite a big chunk, and that's why he arrived at the, in, in the grid box with his brakes, of course, incredibly hot, which he wouldn't have been overly concerned about because hot brakes is, is, is in, as DC says, radiating through then the wheel and the wheel into the tyre, then hopefully you get a bit more tyre pressure and a bit more tyre heat. Um, so he was looking for some confidence in the first three big stops of that Grand Prix, i.e. turn one, two and three, to put the fight you know, into Sergio very, very quickly. But ultimately, um, yeah, it looks like he's left it on for the start. And then when you use high brake pressure um, for a normal, you know, normal running, which is what he did for the start of Grand Prix into turn one, then that brake balance is not the correct balance okay. and he went straight but the, the the button itself is it like me reaching for the remote and i want to turn up the volume but accidentally hit the program or the channel button because the arrows look kind of similar 
You know, what I mean? am I oversimplifying it, or is it as easy no, as that? No, no. But the steering wheel is uh, like, uh, like oh, it's we crazy. All know. The buttons on it. So yeah. what the hell is going on there? Yeah, but it's all designed by him. You know, some design engineer hasn't said that's how I think a steering wheel should look. You know, he sat down over the time he's been at Mercedes and said, I want my radio switch there. I want my magic button there. I want my engine. You know, it's all agreed hand in hand mm. with an experienced driver. A young driver, you pretty much take what you're given and learn how to operate it. But there's, it's not like he's had an outer body experience or they've switched everything on the steering, which my teammate Mika Hakkinen used to do year to year. He'd finish one season and next season he'd go, well, Mika would like the radio to be on the opposite side. And from a team point of view, Mark, as you'll remember, better if the steering wheel is the same for both drivers yeah. because it just makes it easier to deploy them out in the field. But Mika would be, but he, he would go from one year wanting to reflect tire pressures and PSI to the next mm. year wanting to use um, bar and then the next year he'd want to go back to PSI. He was just, you know, Why? despite the brilliance he was <laughs> in terms of behind the wheel, um, he was just mad when it came to setting things up. Hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, to the layman, when he glances at one of the Formula One car steering wheels, it just looks like mission control. There's just buttons all over it. But then again, when I'm playing on my Xbox, crushing it on Destiny 2 with my, my joypad there, it's covered in buttons and they become second nature really quickly, don't they? There you go, and you're not being paid. And not be tens paid at of all. millions. It should be because I'm bloody good at Destiny too. Yeah, the future <laughs> career. Yeah, when this one eventually, uh, inevitably peters out. Um, Beardy Lorryman asks, uh, in a most convoluted way, I must say, deep breath. Do you think Red Bull are as good as they seem to be, or do you think it's only because Mercedes aren't as good as they have been, which is making Red Bull seem like they are better than they actually are? <sighs> Mark? <laughs> well, obviously, you know, it's a boxing match or a tennis match. There's only two in the fight at the moment. I love can, it when Mark gets al- into analogy mode. I bloody love it. You can always say, well, one's performing. Take your time, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> is he, no, is he frozen? Is it, you, 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 you know, screen froze there. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, to diminish someone that beats you is performance because you might say they didn't bring their A game to finish second. In this case, he's trying to belittle Red Bull um, because Merck aren't performing at their highest level. Well, Red Bull are finding gaps now and Merck are under a little bit of heat. Uh, Valtteri's not performing. Lewis has had a few dodgy tr- uh, tracks that the car hasn't performed at because we know he's generally pretty consistent. Verstappen has made the most of that. Red Bull have made the most of that. They've, they've capitalised apart from Pirelli's, you know, um, issue they had in Baku. So, no, I think that's a bit that's a bit rough to to take the heat off Red Bull. They've they've been coming at them over time, and we should be celebrating the fact that there is there is a fight uh, between two different teams, and. Also, Ferrari, don't forget, you know, Leclerc banged it, on, banged it on pole the last race. The race pace was average, but it was brilliant to see them up there too. Mm. So more merrier and, um, yeah, you can't belittle someone else's performance uh, just because someone else is giving them a toweling over, over um, the, the, their own performance. I think a lot of people, um, it's just so difficult to believe that Mercedes performance-wise are going to drop off the cliff anytime soon. It just, it just feels impossible to fathom that. Well, they've got the, the resource and the, the knowledge of this era of Formula One. So we are coming to the close of this current set of regulations. Next year, it's a completely different design concept, different car. Power units remain the same. So they're going to continue to do a brilliant job when it comes to, to the whole drivetrain. But 
normally when you have big regulation change, it tends to shake things up. It tends to actually separate the grid a little bit in terms of the top teams have a bigger performance advantage over the smaller teams because they've got more resource to run a season whilst they're parallel designing and building a, a new a new car. So ironically, the, the, this year, I think it's actually been closer from the back of the grid to the front than we've seen in, in previous years. But that'll spread a little bit next year probably. But uh, Red Bull have been consistent. They just mm. haven't, I think, had the power unit to, to back up where they've been with the chassis and they, they went to Honda which was clearly not very f- favoured by McLaren after a few seasons yeah. and they've managed to work with that partnership to, to develop and, and see success so do you think Chrissy and Honda would say oi Mercedes is as good as they've always been it's just we've caught them up we're just as good now yeah well potentially he would and the, the, you know sometimes you can look at year to year lap times and things like that but there's there's been regulation change tweaks this year which have uh, taken away some of the flicks and fancy aerodynamics so the cars I think are a wee bit slower this year so uh, I think Aston Martin and Mercedes were saying they were more affected by low rake Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, look, everybody sings when they're winning, and everybody mm. complains when they're not, and and tries to motivate um, motivate their troops by saying we know what we need to develop, and motivate their partners and sponsors by saying we're on the right track of development. My belief is that there's a certain amount of when you're winning, you, you're all sort of patting each other on the back because of course we're winning because we've done all our jobs properly, but you never fully, truly understand because there's so many things that you can't model in the tunnel that then play out when you get on the on the circuit. And um, and as true as, as any particular team has a dominant era in Formula One, that time will come to an end mm. because if they, all, if they knew the magic ingredient all the time, they'd just keep adding that magic ingredient, but they don't. They don't know what the magic ingredient is. They don't know what they don't know. And it's that black art of from, you know, you're compromising on the mechanical integrity of the car to get it as light as possible, which means it flexes and twists. And, you know, if you get all of those margins right, it flexes and twists in all the right places. If you get it wrong, then you get a car that feels a little bit strange to drive that they didn't model would be like that. So it's bloody difficult. And we should celebrate Mm. anyone that's successful at that level. Well, here's a a topic that's popular and I dare say a little bit difficult to get absolute answers on but let's let's have a crack we got David Coulthard and Mark Webber here with us I'm sure they know their onions uh, Veronica Neves wants to ask the following Stroll and Verstappen what do you think debris on track or faults in the tires uh, have at it guys um, well I think uh, is it Veronica did you say Veronica? Veronica Veronica yeah Veronica yeah no I think um, Veronica I'm going to go with um, that Pirelli are at fault. Uh, I think that there has to be enough margin uh, within the pressure tolerance that the teams are given, which clearly the team uh, and Pirelli and the FIA have said that Red Bull and Aston Martin Racing were not under the prescribed l- limit, I'm, I'm led to believe. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, DC, but I think they, were, they might have been close, but okay, that's, that's the limit. They weren't under it, so there was nothing flaky going on there. Um, and... We know they've had previous. We know that the, the, the tolerance of them to how close they are for the tyre to fail has happened quite often, um, and not just in Formula 1, in other categories. So the brand has form, um, and 
they were very, very lucky to get away with the, the incidents that they did. Uh, yes, they were high speed, but the, the concrete and the safeties, you know, of the, of the sort of the angle of the walls were all, you know, very uh, the right angle for, for the impacts, not to be which is great. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't read because every contact patch is, is, is running on the road. You can see the standing wave, which is actually the small, there's small curvatures happen on the side wall of the tyre, and that means that the tyre, actual the construction and the, the casing of the tyre is under, it's over, it's, it's about to explode and over its limits, um, and that's where the tyre has failed. So mm. the, the, the turning point of the shoulder. Um, so debris, no. Pressure's in question mark. Pressure seemed fine, and that tyre should have gone the distance um, comfortably. And uh, it hadn't. You have to keep in mind. I mean, DC's done Le Mans. He won it um, in in a, you know a few years back. DC, we know that. But in terms, of, I've done Le Mans as well, and that's an endurance race. Yes, Formula One is cutting edge. Every, all the components are very different sports. But Michelin supply a tire for that race that you can drive four hours, and the top speeds are three hundred and forty kilometers an hour five times on the track uh, you know, per lap. So the technology is out there, and Pirelli, I think, um, you know, over time, they um, they're capable of producing something uh, that can r rebuff these, you know, these uh, flaky moments for them. But they just seem incapable at the moment. Thank you, Mark. Got a little bit of drop out there, but we very much got the gist of it. DC, what do you think? You agree with Mark there? Well, in answer to Veronica's question, it's been answered in in the press releases um, that Pirelli have said they, they haven't found any cause of the failure to do with debris. So. The debris the, argument doesn't hold true when you consider there was no debris on track when Stroll smashed into the barrier. No, I, well, absolutely. So what Pirelli have said is the tyres haven't failed because of debris marks or cuts. Yeah. You know, you quite often get little cuts and nicks in, in okay. tyres. And um, they've said that, as Mark uh, highlighted there, that the teams weren't running outside their prescribed operating parameters. That's the beginning and end of that story. So you call it whatever you want to call it thereafter, but it's is a failure of a tire which was running at the correct pressure as stipulated by the FIA and Pirelli and there was no obvious signs of a cut or nick or something but that doesn't mean it, it there wasn't a cut or a nick it just means that of what was left of the tire and they, when they did the investigation they couldn't find it so you just call it the racing gods and in, in that situation yeah I suppose you could say well it's one of those things the problem with this though is it's two of those things <laughs> You know, yeah. it happened twice. It's not clearly good mm. um, and could have been very, very, you know, dangerous oh, and, and high, high consequence, as Mark points out. You know, the, uh, Max went right and hit the wall there. If he'd gone left and hit pit lane, Don't even wall, want to think that, about that's it. a different crash yeah. altogether. But motor racing is dangerous. And it actually, you know, knowing that no one was injured, it gave us an incredible end to yeah. what was the, you know, points not that interesting a Grand Prix so look are we surprised when two boxers get in a ring one of them gets bluttered in the face and you know goes sparkle on the on the canvas you know we feel sorry for them but there's something strangely satisfying about seeing someone getting knocked out it goes part and parcel with different sports you know if we want to do you know cotton wool boxing for for the whole world because no one can get injured no one can get hurt no one can be pushed physically or mentally then that's another conversation and mm. probably will happen at some point beyond my life on earth but you know meanwhile welcome to motor racing it's dangerous i don't want to think of a life without you Steve, 
Steve, just also quickly, uh, yep. people might might want a bit more content, and DC can obviously you know, jump in here as well, mate. But the tire pressures, you know, people might think, why is that so sensitive? Well, you know, it, the lower the tire pressure, obviously, the more low the tires under. So when Pirelli keep, you know, that's a little bit of a shortcut for them to keep increasing the the minimum tire pressure if it's. 18 psi, 19 psi, 20 psi. So when you go to places like Baku, the teams want to have the lowest possible pressure because there's a lot of low speed corners. But unfortunately, you have a two kilometer straight, and when the when the cars are doing 340 kilometers an hour, that tire is seeing a tremendous amount of force and centrifugal force in terms of the the the, the, the sort of ro rotation from the track at that speed at, at a pressure which. Um, Pirelli might not be that, that comfortable with, so they just mm. keep cranking the pressures up, which the teams hate, the drivers hate, because obviously then it's just, you know, one or two PSI for the teams to drive. That's massive numbers. It doesn't sound much, but it's just slaughters lap time, makes the car more tricky to drive. Yes, it's the same for everyone, but it's not really, you know, what the teams like, you know, dealing with, because they've got so much of the other car, so much of their other things in, in their control is... Is, is handled in such an incredible fashion when it comes to performance and then they've got to crank these pressures up which which kills the car's performance which is unfortunate well sticking with the dangerous side of formula one uh ziggy starlust asks uh simply uh, and i assume this is also in regards to those stroll and verstappen shunts uh, what's it like to crash an f1 car traveling 200 miles per hour it's absolutely fine as long as you don't have a sudden stop. It's absolutely fine. No, it is. You know, Mark and I have had some sizable crashes over the years. Uh, Mark, with much bigger consequence of G-loading than I ever had. You know, I, I tended to, you know, my crash tended to last quite a long time, which is a good thing because you're losing energy as you're going yep. through the crash. Uh, Marks have had a bit more sudden stop. Didn't, didn't Mark go through a cloud once in one of his crashes? Yes, he, he did. Took yeah, off. yeah. He's, he's flown a couple of times, Le Mans, when he raced for Mercedes <laughs> there. And he, yeah, that's <laughs> where he first did that little squeal. <laughs> and he, uh, he flew in Valencia, but he had a fairly hefty shunt in Brazil, um, about 2004 or 2003, yep. something. And then, uh, um, and, and also in Brazil in his sports car as well when he was racing there for Porsche. So, as long as you don't have the sudden stop, it's fine. And of all the things that you want to crash into, armco barriers are great because they tend to move, a bit of deflection, and also they tend to sort of you know, keep you moving. They, they, they push you around the circuit. Mm -hmm. Tires can actually pull you in and you, know, you get a, that sudden stop, stopping to, you know, very abruptly. Um, and concrete, which is what we got around the Paul Ricard circuit, is not forgiving at all. Well, I, I don't want to put words in Ziggy Starless mouth here but I'm, I'm assuming they want to know you as a driver as a human being you've always been in those cars what does that feel like I mean painful no Are you terrified the moment no. the car starts getting no. away from you no 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 because you you racing drivers are optimists and even when you're in the throes of a crash you still think you're either going to minimize the damage because you want to get the car rebuilt or you optimistically think you're going to recover the situation before you crash if you immediately go then you've given up and that's not in the mindset of a racer even when you're stepping out of the smoldering wreckage you're thinking ah, the boys will get that rebuilt in time for the race <laughs> mark different situation for you though because dc's talking about recovering the situation but when you're looking up at the sky all of a sudden when you're airborne you're like yeah this this is the, i'm not going to recover here I, th I think this is game you know game over for my day 
Yeah, I mean, as DC said, he was good at scratching cars. He scratched a lot um, and small little impacts and, and had a few of those where I had... I didn't scratch many cars, but I just basically obliterated them. So um, I was I was good at jet, using Gel Ignite to finish them off. Um, and yeah, I think that time slows down. So to probably give um, Ziggy some context here, I think that, you know, your mind certainly slows down you're frustrated as well inside that so that your your emotions are certainly all over the place dc's right in terms of you're still optimistic that you know obviously when you're in the air you can do nothing at that point you're a total passenger but you're just you're the flaps yeah <laughs> yeah jesus take the wheel <laughs> yeah 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 that's right mate you're frustrated that you know the result is is clearly not going to turn out well um dnf for the team dnf for yourself um so whenever we have an incident we know that there's consequences on on, on the results and that's the immediate thought is that I, I, you know we didn't come into this venue to have that type of ending whether it's practice quality or the race so and ultimately you don't really i mean depends whose fault it is but you don't really care if you're caught up with anyone else there's nothing you know i, I very rarely rarely felt rough about you know unless i did an absolute howler of a mistake but again that's racing if you get tangled up with someone else that's the the cards that we're dealt with but you it slows down um i in in, in the i had some crashes in lamont as well and actually the second one which was um both quite, both quite similar accidents in the second one i'm i'm actually remember thinking that look just turn the lights off i don't want any pain i'm very calm you know just if it, if it means i'm not going to make it through just turn the lights off Jesus, that's he owed me some money. He was just trying to get out of the debt. <laughs> he survived. Yeah. I collected. Yeah. <laughs> but these, so, these crashes, but, but, though, Mark. I mean, yeah. I, I'm assuming from karting going up through the formulas, you know, you're crashing at every level. So it's something you get used to. I mean, I, I can't recall any story of a Formula One driver crashing in his F1 car for the first time and thinking, "Yeah, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going home. I don't want to do this anymore." So yeah. you do get used to crashing. Yeah, yes? you're well crashed by the time you get to 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 racing cars and but there, there are drivers that have the big shunts and mark had the big shunts mm -hmm. and and some clearly he has to take responsibility for and some was just yep. racing gods and there's others that tended to have as he said crashes but less let's say impact involved so uh, a buddy of ours who, who lives very close to us alan mcnish did race for formula one in formula one with toyota he definitely fell into the big crash category as well mm. didn't really do much damage but when he did they were like airplane crashes you know there was trying what part of the car is that yeah Not guy's a beast um okay damien fox asks was baku confirmation that perez is the right pick for red bull yes yep yes from dc yeah, Foxy. Uh, I think, um, yeah, and I think he'll be there next year. I think that uh, he's he's the guy they want on Sundays to to mop up those other points. Um, he's getting his feet under the table there now. Team like him. Uh, I think it's enjoyable to work with. Apparently, Max is getting on with him, so mm. I think he's now. Yep, that seed is well and truly planted, and he's he's, he's on his way. Yeah, I think that seems to be a popular response to that question. You're going to call me wet, but. Watching Checo win that Grand Prix and lift that trophy, I, I just kept thinking about Alex Albon. I just thought, oh my God, it must be just horrible watching that. Well, I had breakfast with Alex um, in the week and he's getting ready for his uh, DTM GT3 racing. And clearly he had no problems on Sundays. 
mm. other than you know coming together with Lewis a couple of times. Yeah. Saturdays was his Achilles heel, and he, he knows that. And maybe like uh, uh, Pierre Gasly, he can go away and regroup and come back and, and deliver the speed that has brought him to Formula One. Um, and if he can do that, then he'll have another second bite at the cherry, and he's would be you know very nice and deserving driver to do that. But for that one moment of pressure, Paul going up against Max in a Red Bull, which is you know the faster cars tend to be a bit more tricky to drive yeah. than the slower cars, it didn't work out. And but he's still part of the Red Bull family. And look, sport is it's a gift to be a professional sports person to be paid to do what you would do for fun. As your hobby, so I wouldn't say I feel sorry for anyone. No, okay. In life, yes, of course, but mm. in terms of sport, you get your chance, and you either deliver mm. or you don't. The sport doesn't wait for others to keep up. Yeah. Well, I wish him well. He's a lovely, lovely guy. I hope uh, DTM goes very well for him. Um, Christine Geller here. Uh, how long will that win, which was robbed from Verstappen in Baku, haunt his dreams? I mean, I think I know the response to this one, Mark. Five minutes. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. Just move on. Done. Mate, when you've got the trophy cabinet he's got at his age, uh, he's not going to be paranoid about a uh, something completely out of his control. All the positives will be you know, flooding through his mind that he put the brilliant weekend together. He controlled the race it was literally just putting the icing on the cake that well, was cherry on the top and then he, he got nailed so um nothing to do with him in terms of that that incident and um he'll see comfort from that and dust himself down like i say within no time at all and get ready for the next one in australia we have animals called wombats and wombats the front of their skulls are really really thick you know they're they're they're, they're, they're tough little bastards yeah and 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 they don't take much shit, you know. They're 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 cool. I love them. They're really cool little beasts. That's a Verstappen, mate. He is yeah. mentally just granite, I think. And um, yes, we've seen him crack a little bit here and there, and his frustrations come out with his age. But I think you know his his ability to recover from the the the, the roller coaster um, that would be a huge roller coaster for some other professionals. Verstappen's roller coaster is is a pretty boring ride mentally, I think, because he's very stable. Mm. Yeah, look, Max is still closer to puberty than years he's lived as an adult. That's the reality. He is a young, young man. There's a lot of learning that's going to happen over the next decade. And that's why I think that the prime time is late 20s, early 30s, because it's not about whether they get faster. It's about life experience. It's about understanding what being a man is. You know, I think we can all, all accept and agree that women tend to mature a bit more quickly than than men and 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 that's no not something that's put accelerated just because you happen to be a world-class formula one driver so he will continue to to grow as an individual and uh, what sport i think teaches you is focus on what you can control and the fact that the car crashed is no longer in his control he doesn't he's not using any energy and he's not asking why 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 a lot of people in life keep asking well why did that happen why did and if there were, if there was an answer, they would probably wouldn't have to ask why twice. Hmm. But the very reason you have to keep asking why is because there probably isn't an answer. And but yet they keep going round in circles seeking an answer to the unanswerable. Yep. And meanwhile, other achievers have asked it once, haven't got an answer, figured out. Well, better to get on with what I can influence, which is the future. And they're already further down the road by the time you're still going round in circles, going why, why me? Fair play. Uh, 
I am very glad he kicked the car though. I think because and I was at home watching it. We as a viewer, we all collectively like kick the car, Max. You've got to kick that car, and he kicked it. It's like yeah, <laughs> it was just a very Max moment, you know. Maybe a little bit of that immaturity you said, DC. But then again, I'm 44. I probably would have kicked the car myself. Um, chaps, can I ask you? And this is building on what happened to Max. Yes, he offloaded the moment, but it is a missed opportunity out of his control, but still so, so close, but yet so far. So can I ask you chaps to go to a dark place, reach into yourselves and open that door where we keep the bad things, those things that won't be forgotten. I want you to tell us the worst loss of your career. And by that, I mean the one that was yours for the taking. You know, a real tap in until the shit hit the fan. Who, who wants to go first? Australia, 95, easily winning the race and um, had a small issue coming into the pit lane in Adelaide. And what was that small issue? Uh, when I did the downshift, I got an over rev yep. on, on the automated system and when the clutch re-engaged, it just gave me a better push, got on the dust and Mark was racing that weekend, I believe winning in Formula Ford and, yep. um, and I just sailed into the pit lane and that cost, uh, I know it's never big and it's never nice to talk about money, but you know what on the marbles does is deliver honesty you better believe and it, that, it that cost me two and a half million <laughs> did you immediately <laughs> think about the money of course not i'm a sportsman i'm doing it for the pleasure but my manager pointed out when i got oh back. oh my god i feel sick it's all right i've got a few other quid are you gonna be okay i'll be fine Thank can we get Steve. a whip can we have a whip run for dc after the all the crew are nodding and some fingers being shown as well. <laughs> Mark, what about yourself? Anything as stomach churning as that? Um, oh, loads. But it's an interesting question because I've got, I mean, obviously I, I, I crashed in Korea in 2010. I crashed in Valencia in 2010, uh, which were two shunts that I could have certainly not not had in my season to, to try and win the World Championship that year. But there weren't tappings. You know, they were races where there was a lot going on. Um, and those errors happened um but a tapping it was early in the race it was a bloody first lap but I think it was 05 and it's a weird one and, and not many people will know about it but um i qualified at the nurburgring grand prix that year in in in, in germany in the williams bmw my teammate nick hydeville was on pole but he was on a three stop with no fuel because bmw were really keen to have a german on the front row and i qualified third with one of the biggest laps of my life with a shitload of fuel in the car and an awesome strategy. And I thought it was wise to try and do Montoya on the brakes into turn one, which was stupid, and we both hit each other. And um, I just thought, if only, like, I love that track, if I just had been, you know, discretion the better part of Valor at turn one, with that strategy I had in mind, I just know that I could have, yeah, done something special that day. But there you go. Yeah. I was a twat. I was a twat. <laughs> Owning it. That's the the other thing about sports people. Yeah. They'll try and blame everyone else until the point <laughs> clearly it's not credible. And then they go, yeah, it's my fault. Those sliding door moments. Okay. Uh, stupid Asher has been on with some, with some sass directed at myself. Uh, Steve, you said Seb would never get a podium this season with Aston. How do you feel after seeing him get the silver in Baku? When did well, you say that? I said it in the last podcast. Oh, okay. No, but, like, but Baku podiums don't count. Well, I mean, it, it seemed to count to Seb. Well, look, look, I'll tell you how I feel if I'm completely honest. I feel a bit foolish, feel a bit embarrassed, a bit small. But, but after I made that comment, I did say I know nothing. So I was wrong and I was right about being wrong. So, you know, suck on that stupid Asher. 
yeah look in my in my mind you you are in a raised elevated position in, in life of one of life's better people so <laughs> the fact that you can't made you know, a boob of myself well you you know you've never raced a formula one car you yeah. don't why would i know what i'm talking about <laughs> well when it comes to racing <laughs> no when it comes to presenting and scripting yeah. and sculpting and taking us on a journey and you know you're delicious at that but when yeah. it comes to driving god as far as i can tell you you could get out of the car in france at the airport and got on the wrong side of the car because you thought the steering was <laughs> something had stolen the steering you're in the continent thank you i'll give you a second as that. opposed to being incontinent he's easy please he's easy please behind the wheels Steve, remember our run in bahrain mate the porsche that was a good 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 late night run wasn't it yeah you scared the life out of me with that that, we, we, that well, what Porsche were we in? It was a particularly powerful one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a Cayenne Turbo S, mate. So it was a, still the SUV, but we had wet all the ponies under the bottom, mate. And you, yeah. I think you, no, you I had, lost your Porsche. No, I had to remind you, lost- you that I have back issues. Please hold down. He was like throwing <laughs> me out of the seat, even though I was strapped in. Uh, but do you know what? I'm, I'm going to be the bigger man here. I am going to talk about Sev, even though I made a fool of myself. That Vettel podium is our favorite german back with a bang or was it a flash in the pan it was a great weekend's performance he looked on it and that it shouldn't be a surprise because he's a four-time world champion yep. and mark knows better than i just you know how skillful he has been during his career so the, the yeah the congratulations welcome back said that's what we've expected um, yes, circumstances were slightly fortunate for both him and Pierre to, to get that podium, but earned on merit on the day. Okay. Yeah, Mark, do you concur? Yeah, I mean, he would have got great satisfaction out of that. He passed Ferrari on track um, on the restart. Leclerc, he brilliant first stint, so he teed it up. All the foundations were, were, were his responsibility to get that great result. So, I mean, I was a bit sarcastic that Baku podiums don't count because they generally are a little bit hit and miss there, to be honest. But... Um, as a random random event great for the neutral but it can throw up some odd results but that was a genuine podium for him on that day and um let's see if he can jag a few more before the year's out yeah best of luck to him titan smith Ooh, strong name titan smith i like that do you like that not as much as you mark do you like that titan name smith? pervert you <laughs> you know being a jones i'm jealous of all other names well, you could have gone with a bit more exotic yeah. than Smith. Yeah. Well, yeah, Ma- Titan Smith offsets the Smith. That's why I'm saying it's a strong name. That the, the parents know we got ourselves a Smith. Let's go with something unusual before that. I mean, I'm a Jones. My parents went, let's go with Steve. Thanks, Mum. Thanks, Dad. But where's 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 she from, Titan? That's a man's name, isn't it, Titan Smith? <laughs> God, have I, have I said something now? Oh, what have I done? It can be, it's a neutral name. It can be anything. Jesus, I've got to be so careful nowadays. Titan Smith asks, after a 12th place finish at Baku, may I ask, what on earth is happening to Valtteri Bottas? Yeah. I I tell you what, he did beat his teammate. That's something. (laughs) Now, Valtteri's gone off the boil and he's not in a happy place right now. That car is clearly a bit trickier to drive um, you know we we can say that of the last several years he's been alongside Lewis he's been able to match Lewis on many occasion in outright pace or certainly be within a you know tenth or so which mm. is admirable to say the least but yeah he seems to have gone off the boil and strange things happen when you've been around the sport for a while 
and I think he's in that strange moment of you know I saw the comments about he considered it the, during the off season whether he wanted to continue and believe it or not I've been through that you don't and say it out loud though no surely. you keep that to yourself or to your inner sanctum you know your small group of people but it's because of the, the constant pressure it's an unreal world being a professional sportsman because everything revolves selfishly, selfishly around your training your fitness your preparation you're in the world's media you know commenting and celebrating your success and rubbing your nose in it when it doesn't work it is it's only when you come out the other side that you get some perspective back mm. and Ma at the moment he, he cannot see the racetrack for the barriers okay he is in a strange place DC spot on there Mark can he come back from the strange place or is George Russell going to be in that seat uh, sooner rather than later um, yeah Steve look, I think it's I think it's all over Red Rover uh, I really he's had a great long he's had a great career it's been a long career uh, he's earned his stripes through coming through Williams and then you know arriving at Merck um, and giving you know Lewis a headache more than once on Saturday afternoons he's, he's very good over one lap we've seen that often um, this particular car this year he has not got on top of so his qualifying performances have been you know below average in, in terms of his higher standards that he's had in previous regulations against Lewis but what I just really struggle with is when he's out of position is the street fight mentality mm. getting your elbow you have to make your presence felt you have to make sure that they know you're on the track and you can't be passive you've got to attack if you're in one of the best cars you've got to fight and you've got to go down swing and sometimes it doesn't work out I got it wrong many a time but I tell you what at least I went down I didn't go you know go down you know wondering what how the move might look or someone might not have respected me behind them or in front of them defending I tried to do my best and and I think with Valtteri on Sundays because that's when the sheep stations are handed out as we say in Australia when the big trophies are done you've got to deliver in Formula One we can talk about one lap pace and all sort of stuff or being fast in free practice one and two Grand Prix racing is what you're measured by mm. and at the moment he's not delivering uh, another driver who's under fire maybe not to the extent of Valtteri but Hen Arnold has been on and she's asking what sort of timeline is Daniel Ricciardo looking at in regards to keeping his seat in the team being beaten by Norris race after race isn't the return on their investment McLaren were looking for uh, yeah Norris fifth in Baku Ricardo ninth I mean that seems a bit harsh it's not that bad is it well it's not as good as we all expected it's not as good as Daniel expected you know right now uh, he is still trying to come to terms with the way that car needs to be driven which is a little bit surprising for someone of his experience and in answer to the question I, I, I don't know how long his contract is but I'm going to assume at least a couple of seasons I think he'll be fine Mm. To, to get through this year because he's young enough and there's got to be enough magic in there to, to be able to get on top of it and deliver some big results. The, the thing that's really hit him, he, he's not comfortable in the brakes and that's one of the big strengths of his driving style, mm. his racing style, is the confidence and the feel in the brakes. And you take that away from him, then it's sort of clearly affecting his lap time. But I think he'll be fine for, for, for next year and I've still got to expect that he'll find his form this year. If he doesn't, then I'd be a little bit worried. Yeah. What do you think, Mark? Is the uh, the honey badger uh, going to give us that resurgence at some point? Totally agree with DC. I think he's um, 
lost some confidence with this car. There's no question about that. He's uh, had his wings clipped. Norris is the opposite. He loves the car. He's on on, on top of it. Um, yeah, Daniel's like most sportsmen and women, of course, you need confidence to perform well and believe you can go out there and deliver. Um, he's been trying to fool himself and trick himself that mentally he can get on top of this um, early in the season, which he hasn't been able to do. He could be just around the corner. I think that he's openly said in recent days that you know these are the types of tracks where he can experiment a little bit more. DC's mentioned that he's struggling in the, in, in the later phase of braking or getting the most out of the car on the brakes and that feel. So you can't experiment on street circuits because you just smash the car to smithereens which you did in qualifying in, in, in Baku so in Ricard and two races in, in, in Austria and then Silverstone and Budapest like these are types of tracks where you can get away with experimenting a little bit even though to the to the neutral at home you might not see that experimentation but he will be in the background trying to work out where he can unlock the potential this car that with the car that Norris is showing so he'll be safe next year but um we're only having this chat because we, we believe he's world-class and, and um, mm. you know, there's a bit of scrutiny on him. Um, hopefully he can get out of it. Yeah, good news. Paul Ricard is going to be a favourable track for him this weekend. Uh, quick question on that, actually. Does Bernie Eccleston's ex-wife still own this track? Didn't she get Paul Ricard in the divorce? Am I right in saying that? I believe so. Uh, I don't know if she still owns the track, but the grass out between the pit lane and where the engineers sit on the Pratt's perch, as is affectionately known, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, there's little signs there that say, keep off the grass, an original from Biggin Hill. Because wow. Bernie owns Biggin Hill, which is an airfield in yeah. the south of London. Um, and yep. it's where Formula One Television's broadcasting center is. It's where all his car collection is. And so somebody obviously thought it was funny to bring the turf from there rather than using French seed. Must be nice. Must be nice. A, a few years ago, Steve, I was on the grid there with DC. I think it was Jackie's birthday, wasn't it? DC, we had put his little yeah. tartan hat. And, um, but Slavica actually come up to me and, and uh, she this, was... This is the, Bernie's ex-wife? Yeah, she came up to me and, and said hello. And um, she said, um, we never had that game of tennis I, I offered you in, in Bahrain all those years ago. I said, yeah, we, you know, I didn't, we didn't know we didn't have that game of tennis. I didn't get around to it. And, and obviously it was racing that weekend. I was, she goes, you were scared of my ex-husband. Um, and uh, I said, yeah, I probably was. Um, <laughs> I went, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I owe Slavica a game of tennis. Um, but I, yeah, I think you're right, mate. I think she still does own the... Um, wow. Uh, the whole shoot match there, but uh, yeah, the so, trust is called Bambino, the Bambino trust. trust. Yeah, why is it called that? Uh, I guess it's because Bernie's kids. Wow. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. It'll, it's it sound. Do you know it all sounds like a game to the Ecclestons, doesn't it? Uh, well, money, money, money might be funny or must be funny. I don't remember the line <laughs> in a rich man's world. And in this case, a rich woman's world. Yeah. Well, good for her. You any good at tennis, by the way, Mark? Just a sidebar. Mate, I'm... He's Queenie Berry champion. Um, um, I'm friggin' awesome. <laughs> so yeah. you would have smashed no. her to pieces, yeah? I'm not over the top of my backhand, mate. I'm just um, I'm struggling. I get a sort of pathetic little slice going on. But um, I don't know. I think I, I'd like to believe I've got Slivica covered on the court, but you never yeah. know. What about you? Are you left or right-handed, mate? Right-handed. I'm a, I'm a squash player. Well, used to be before my uh, my, my back gave out on me. But uh, yeah, yeah. T- tennis is too skillful for me. I'm, I'd much rather just smash the ball against a wall. That, that's more that's more me. They, yeah, they say squash is good for people who are good with their wrists. So um, yeah. well done, son. I have very, very strong wrists. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. Wrists? It's that big. You Thick need wrists. wrists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right, moving on. Hardeep wants to know, what do the gang think about that red flag standing restart in Baku? Naughty but nice? Question mark. In the end, I thought it was going to be single file uh, rolling start if they even started again for two laps. But, you know, pre I've been in Grand Prix where they've, they've not restarted the race despite there being time to do so because somebody makes a judgment call. In the end, it gave us something quite spectacular. Yeah. So I think that we can agree that that was an exciting end if you're not a Lewis Hamilton fan. Um, but I don't know. What do you reckon, Mark? I, it's a good question because I hadn't really uh, discussed it with anyone. <laughs> It's a cracking question, um, and the purest in me, uh, which we all, you know, it's, it's like giving, you know, it's like when you hear your mum and dad talk when you're young, saying, "Well, back when, you know, I was this," and it's like it, it sounds like, you know, I'm I'm obviously a geriatric, but you know, as DC said, sometimes you can actually red flag when Verstappen crashed. Sometimes that it could be taken back one lap. So how they crossed the line the previous lap and the results are taken from that that lap. So that is one scenario which a lot of people wouldn't be aware of, but that actually is a scenario that could have been played out, which mm. clearly they didn't. They wanted to um, restart this race with, with, of course, two laps to go. Um, and then obviously the delay and, and all the rest of it come with it. I think I was frustrated initially, but I was happy that... Um, and this sounds brutal because I am a Hamilton fan. I am a Lewis Hamilton fan. People, I am a Hamilton fan. I was <laughs> Lewis didn't win. That would not have been fair, I think, mm. in terms of just how the Grand Prix was um, dealt with. If, if you know, a, a standing start as we saw, it, it, it's the it's the most randomised event that the effort that Michael Massey could put together to to to. to to flip the cards and have another random result. You could have a restart, a single file restart, as DC said. So Perez is more in the box seat for a guaranteed turn one entry, if you like. But they did everything they could to really spice it up. And that's good for neutral, but it's it's it, it was borderline a little bit too WWF or WWE yeah. or WWE down the US. It was all whatever, WWE. Something. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know Michael Massey. I know you guys do, but he does seem to, you know, favor entertainment over legacy you know i can imagine him directing the next marvel movie if you know what i mean i don't think charlie whiting god bless his heart would ever have done what happened in baku yeah. on race day potentially i think that's a good observation and actually probably not a bad thing given yeah. where sports sits today in no complaints over here baby yeah, you've got to move with the times and we're, we're looking for our next audience and they have lots of choice of lots mm. of entertainment so no bad thing that we're putting entertainment uh, a little bit more at the front of it yeah thank yeah. you hardy Great question. Sorry, Mark, go for it, man. It was good at the end. It was good yeah. in the end. It, the right, it, it, it was... gave us the Mark Webber scream, for God's sake. No, I don't want to live it. in a world that doesn't have that. <laughs> it gave us, you know, Sergio winning um, and, as I say, a healthy podium. It was good. It was, it was a good podium. And, and yeah, and, and Max didn't lose out through no fault of his own and, and, and Lewis didn't get any points, which is, in the end, it was good mm. that no one capitalised on that random two-lap race. All right, last one from Tom Gordon. Uh, how legit is this Horner and Wolf beef? Might we see them stripped to the waist going at it in the paddock? We definitely won't see that Damn. because there's a bit of a, you know, two different weight categories altogether. True. Uh, and I'm, I'm not meaning the carry weight, I'm just talking physical size. Do you see that the weight category is a very real thing? Okay. I don't think a lot of people yeah. realize that. Yeah. You know, the big guy is probably going to beat the tiny little guy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So that that's 
probably not going to be they're going to be slapping each other I think there's an element of uh, they both want to beat each other and their teams are doing whatever they can within the spirit of the rules and, and, and it's stretching everything to the absolute maximum um, but in the end there's it's like racing drivers you know it's very difficult to be really close to someone when you're in the heat of battle but they're building they're building a relationship through the, their you know team principal roles or sporting director roles whatever the official titles they run um, which will enable them to reminisce in the future as probably good buddies mm. but it just ain't going to happen right now because Toto's success is Christian's failing and Christian's success is Toto's failing <laughs> where is the mutual enjoyment in that yeah you agree Mark yep uh, they're both protecting their teams their teams all the soldiers that work for them they're leading from the front uh they they, they believe in, in in both of their operations um and often there's a, a disagreement on whether it's regulations on style of running a team on you know red bull or an energy drinks company huge name we know that toto's with an oem with mercedes so they're very different uh, corporate setup about how they go about their racing so Christian can shoot from the hip and, and Toto's got enough firepower even within Merck to, to do what he wants because mm. we know he's got shareholding within the operation. So um, good for the sport. And as DC said, they're there for each other. Um, and it's real. And then, you know, like I said, they're not going to strip down and get the old trunks on and have three, 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 minute, three, three minute rounds. Um, <laughs> but I think it's pretty fruity. Absolutely. I think it's genuine. You know, when people say stripped to the waist, is that T-shirt off or trousers off? I think stripped to the waist is t-shirt. t-shirt, yeah. So it's not... T- okay. Not budgie smuggler. You know. Well, no, if you're stripped, there's nothing there. But Actually, someone called me out on this the other day where we say, oh, the, the alarm has gone off, don't we? Yeah. The alarm's gone off. But they went... Uh, Central European person uh, said, well, the alarm has gone on. The alarm... Yeah, that's a good point. But we don't say that. We don't say the alarm is... We say the alarm's on when we go to sleep. But yeah. when it goes off in the morning, we don't say the alarm's gone on. Alarm went off. It goes off. Yeah. So there's so many different things that just don't make sense. It's semantics, isn't it? I love all that stuff. Can I just end on a point? Show me a man who can look good naked wearing a T-shirt. Does that man exist? I've tried. Naked wearing a T-shirt? You mean basically just with your bits out? <laughs> yeah. Is any, can anybody pull that off? It depends on the length of the T-shirt. If you're going with a modern T-shirt, oh, then it's probably it's like a mini dress. Like if you're going with the sort of T-shirts I wear... Belly button area. Yeah, then you're exposed. You've just got to own it, haven't you? You've got to feel comfortable with what you're displaying. Wait a minute, are you saying you think you look good in that get-up? I, no, what I did say was you've got to own it. And why, why are you doing what so many people do? You say one thing and then immediately somebody goes, so what you're saying is this. No, what I said was what I said. Do yeah. I think I look good in a t-shirt and nothing? In certain circumstances, yes. So but you're I, saying... You <laughs> in certain circumstances, I don't think there is an issue with needing some upper body coverage, but wanting it to all hang out down below. <laughs> Mark, you want to weigh in on this one? Mate, I think if you, you know, yeah, t-shirt with... Um, what, what could be even worse, Steve, couldn't it, mate? So a T-shirt, nothing on, but then socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I take it one step further? T-shirt on, nothing in between, socks and black leather shoes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. That sounds like a Welsh right, thing. What a, yeah. What a combo. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the Channel 4 Christmas party attire sorted out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that about does it for this session. David, 
Mark, marry me, you're both perfect. Dear listeners, have an affair with me behind Mark and DC's back. I'll meet you at any travel lodge in the country, preferably midweek because the rooms are only 29 quid a night. Uh, we can book a double, but if you're bringing company, there is a pull-out bed. But there's no f-ing way I'm sleeping on that thing. You're welcome to it. All right. All that is left for me to say is the Gallagher supplication. Hit the like button and give us a five-star review. And may the downforce be with you. May all your flags be checkered. Goodbye. Still creepy. So creepy. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>